0: Hi, everyone. I'm Aviva Rumani, and this is Kindred Cast, a biweekly podcast featuring insights from deal makers and thought leaders from the world of tech, media, and everything in between. Kindred Cast is a production of Kindred Media, powered by Liontree, the investment bank for the creative digital economy. Today, we're coming to you from Kindred Media's slopeside studio in Deer Valley, Utah where we had the chance to catch up with Mitch Garber, a businessman, philanthropist, and member of the Order of Canada. We'll hear about his involvement in Caesar's turnaround, his chairmanship of Cirque du Soleil, and his broader thinking around sports betting. Here's my colleague, Alex Michael.
1: Welcome to a special episode of Kindred Cast. I'm Alex Michael. I'm chatting today with Mitch Garber in Kindred Media's Slopeside Studios located here in Deer Valley, Utah. Mitch, a native of Montreal, is a member of the Royal Order of Canada and has had a tremendous career holding various leadership positions at the intersections of live entertainment, payments and gambling. Hailed as the man who saved casino giant Caesars, and we'll talk about this shortly. Mitch is now the chairman of live entertainment juggernaut Cirque du Soleil, as well as a board member of Rackspace, Fosin Fashion Group, iconic French fashion house Lombin, Shutterfly, and actually others. Finally, minority owner and board member of the National Hockey League expansion team in Seattle, along with TPG Capital founder David Bonderman and a group of local Seattle business leaders. Pretty busy, Mitch, as they say. Well, a, I'm having, a, fun. I'm having a lot of fun. So you're definitely having fun. And listen, there's a lot you're doing here, but I know for you there is no shortage of energy, and it shows in what you've done. But maybe not that many people who listen to Kindred Cast are familiar with your story. I ran through it very quickly. I think it's absolutely fascinating, and that's why we're excited to have you here today. Thanks, Alex. Here at Media Slopes in Utah. Maybe we'll start with the Caesar story because. I don't think people realize how big a deal it is of what you pulled off with these guys. And there's one acquisition in particular that I'm yeah. talking about. But why don't we start with 2009 and then we'll build up all your accolades here. In 2008, actually,
2: I left the position that I had at the time in, uh, in the UK. I was the CEO of a large company called uh, Party Gaming. I had met Mark Rowan from Apollo and Carl Peterson at TPG. And they asked me if I wanted to start a subsidiary of Caesars and, and build a digital subsidiary of Caesars. And I said, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. I wanted to work with TPG and Apollo. I wanted to work with Gary Loveman. I admired Vegas and the way Vegas was built, and I knew a lot about it. And so I took on this challenge, thinking that online poker would become legal in the United States. After a couple of years, it became apparent that that wasn't going to happen. We made a decision, myself and a couple of management members, one of which is a guy named Craig Abrams, super executive. Great guy. We had to find a new business If the guys around me were going to get wealthy, that's what I wanted. I wanted them to be able to have an opportunity to get wealthy. And we saw what Pincus was doing at Zenga. We tried to do a deal with him, and he kind of laughed us out of his office. And that gave us the opportunity to go and try to do it ourselves. And I went and found a company in Israel with 13 employees in an apartment in Tel Aviv. They were already doing $10 million of EBITDA. Company called Playtica doing social games on Facebook. There was no mobile games even yet. At the end 2010, okay. beginning 2011, exactly. And we bought that company. I convinced the board of Caesars that we should buy this company for $100 million.
1: Now, hold on. Caesars is 2011. Caesars coming out of the Great Recession. Caesars coming out of the Great Recession never really came back. I right. mean, Vegas still hasn't really come back
2: from 2008. And obviously, that go private transaction by Apollo and TPG was done at the height of the valuation of Caesars and right before the market crash. So there were problems at the Caesars parent. And this subsidiary that was really supposed to be kind of a fun side thing became a very important thing, as, as you alluded to. And, and we can get to that.
1: So you found this company, 13 people in Israel, 10 million of EBITDA. You buy it for how much? 100 million. $100 million. Yeah. Okay. It's 2011. Well, fast forward. In 2016, you sell literally the same business for? $4.4 We sell it to a company called Giant
2: Interactive in China and Jack Ma, personally, his family office. They bought the company for $4.4 It was doing $440 million of EBITDA in 2016. Well, now we're sitting here to 2020. It'll do about $720 million of EBITDA. So the company has continued to grow without me, and that's a great feeling when you can buy a company, build it, professionalize it, make it so that it's sellable and that there's a market to buy it, sell it, and then watch it grow afterwards. I think it's fabulous. The management team were all the same guys that I worked with. They stayed with the company and I didn't. I left
1: and and stayed with Caesars for a while. I couldn't be happier with the outcome. It is kind of mind boggling. Again, not a story that people know that much about. I started with the man who potentially saved Caesars or at least a big piece of it. So you turned a $100 million acquisition into $4.4 billion for these shareholders yeah. in five years. Their share of that money, was a large share,
2: the Caesars' parent share, was used to settle their bankruptcy. Right. So they came out of bankruptcy. Everybody amazing ended story. up quite happy. I think TPG and Apollo guys ended up happy. The, the creditors ended up happy. And then years later, El Dorado Resorts comes in and buys and Caesars. Buy Caesars. So that's kind of the end of
1: this Caesars story. But amazing because Platica doesn't do anything. It's a social game. There is no betting. Yeah, That has not changed. This is people just buying coins and other forms of rewards. Alex, this was my biggest challenge.
2: You know, I saw Farmville and I saw Zenga Poker and we understood it. We understood that people were willing to buy coins to advance in the game, but with no opportunity to cash out those coins, no matter how many coins they ended up with in their count. I tried to explain that. I did explain it to a board of generally older men. It was 2010, 2011, and explaining, we're going to pay $100 million for this business, but it's a real business. People in large numbers are playing these games and willing to buy coins to get extra characters, to get extra time, to advance in the game, to keep their old score, to see the leaderboard, whatever the case may be.
1: The board bought into it. Stunning. And and that's what we did. One of the great business successes of the last decade, truly. It's a good one. Really incredible related. And I want to go back at the time, Caesars Interactive had World Series of poker, right? Yes. It was part of that. And that's what led you to try and do an online poker. Yeah. Why I bring that up is because certainly the talk today is about sports betting and the legalization. You have a very unique perspective, given that you've worked for the casino, the social game side. You thought there was going to be a gold rush, certainly with online poker being legalized, which it was back then. Right. Why is it different now? As we know, poker is big, but not the massive success that people thought back then. Why should sports betting today, which is now legal, I think, in 10 states at, at the time of this taping, is this going to be different? It's hard to say because what happened with Party Poker and poker stars was that I was the CEO of Party Poker.
2: And in September of 2006, a bill was passed in the States to make poker illegal in the United States. And so I turned off our business. We went from a 10 billion market cap to 2 billion. Wow. PokerStars, a private company, they stayed in the business. They became a $5 billion company. So poker is big. Poker stars really took a lot of the real estate in poker. I think that sports betting is going to be far more fragmented because you don't need liquidity as much for sports betting as for poker. What makes poker attractive is that there's lots of players 24 hours a day to fill tables all the time, to fill tournaments all the time. Sports betting requires one person to make one bet. Of course, if you're the house, you need more than one person making one bet, but it doesn't require the same liquidity as is required in poker. So the the opportunity for fragmentation is greater in sports betting than in poker.
1: Do you think it will be as big as people are predicting? Obviously, in the last several months, we've seen some big transactions in the space that are targeting the gambling audience. Barstool Sports yeah. is one. Do you think that's warranted? Not necessarily that deal mm-hmm. per se, but this idea DraftKings is doing a SPAC right. and we'll see how that trades. Are we going to have this massive, massive business or is it not necessarily as big as the hype right now.
2: I'll tell you what these deals tell me. Buying Barstool, very interesting. I'm a big fan of Barstool. Daily Sports Fantasy. It tells me that the casinos are not certain that straight sports betting is going to be this multi-billion dollar business. And so everyone's putting a little bit of money into esports and a little bit of money into Daily Fantasy and a little bit of money into Barstool, which is really a platform for sports talk and sports podcasting and sports video casting. It tells me that... People are unsure where the big money is going to be. So they're trying to fill their plate with a bit of everything. That was not the case in poker. No one was buying Barstool Sports to supplement their poker liquidity. Right. They were making too much money. When I was a CEO at Party, we were making 750 or 800 million of EBITDA. We didn't need a company making 10, 20, 30 million of EBITDA. Right. Last comment on Barstool that that's just a funnel to get sports betters. I think it is a funnel. They've not always worked. So it's interesting. I'll give you an example. Esports tournaments in Las Vegas. And that was something I bought into. Hey, let's bring these esports people, the players and their families, or whomever, all over 21. Let's bring them to Vegas. And then naturally, they'll eat and they'll gamble. And it has so far hasn't really worked out that that funnel is a great Vegas funnel.
1: Interesting. All right. Well, we'll leave gambling for a second. As I mentioned, you're on many boards, really interesting companies. One board that you chair is Cirque du Soleil, yep. which is, of course, the iconic nearly 40 year old company focused as I think probably most listeners would know on acrobatics and theatrical. Right. Tell me about your role there and the future of Cirque and maybe how you got involved in the first place. When I first met David Bonnerman and
2: Mark Rowan in 2008, and it was clear we were going to start this subsidiary of Caesars, I had a request from them and I asked them, I said, you know, when we're all done with this, whenever that is, and it ended up being nine years later, I'd like to be in a position to invest with you participate with you and sit on boards with you. That's my goal when I'm around 50. I wasn't so sure that that was going to materialize, but I wanted to say it because I felt it. 10 years later, that did materialize. You know, I invested with Bondo in many, many deals. I've also invested with him in the NHL team in Seattle. I'm invested with Rowan and companies in Israel and with Apollo in a bunch of companies like Shutterfly and Rackspace and Redbox. But Cirque du Soleil is very personal. The founder of Cirque du Soleil is a really good friend of mine, Guile Liberté. I sat on the board of his charitable foundation You're from for many Montreal. years. I'm from Montreal. I, obviously, I speak French as well as I speak English. And he was selling the company. And so I got involved with TPG and TPG brought in Fosun, and the case of de Depot, which is our big pension plan and pension fund in Quebec, known to your listeners, I'm sure. And of 17 bidders, TPG ended up with the winning bid. They asked me if I would be interested in being the chairman of the company. I invested several million dollars of my own personal money in the deal, so I believed in it. It's a great live entertainment company. You know, my role has been to, I would say, oversee the investment of TPG. TPG owns about 65% of the of the business and to oversee the investment of Fosun and, and case of de Depot. I've become really close with, with all of them. And to help the company any way that I can, I don't invest in any companies where I and the the principal investors don't think that I can add value to the company. So I think I know something about entertainment. The only company where I would say I'm actively invested and sitting on the board where I don't think that I add operational value is Rackspace because I don't think I'm an expert in hosting and some of the Complex
1: technology that they do, but I love the. Concept. But let's talk about some of the operational yeah. things, or just what you can bring to the table for Cirque, and how that plays into the future. As I said, mm-hmm. it's 40 years old. It's not a brand new concept. They're right. obviously Vegas. It's a colossal entity. Half of our EBITDA comes from Vegas. How many shows is that? Seven. Seven shows. Per- permanent resident shows.
2: Half of our EBITDA comes from our touring shows. So it's really simple. The issue with Cirque du Soleil is that there's kind of a cap on how many tickets we could sell in the world. There's kind of a cap on how many people could pay $100 to see a show live and how many countries have people that can afford that. And we sell about 11 or 12 million tickets a year. That's the largest number of tickets sold by any one single live entertainment company. The issue is how do we find the next stream of revenue? We've done three acquisitions. We bought Blue Man Group. We bought a magic company. We believe in magic as a theme. And we bought a kids company. We believe that we could target kids and we never have before. That's one way through m a something that Guy never wanted to do and that, of course, we really want to do. And then the other way is how are we going to provide competition for the Netflix and Amazons of the world? Do we have a good streaming quality product? We think that we do. We have to find the right apparatus. We have to find the right way to do it. If we sell 11 or 12 million tickets a year, then there's another 7 billion people who never get to see our show. So how do we get the shows in front of them, either in a subscription model or some local model? So change
1: the model a bit, not change the core model, but bring it to a direct-to-consumer venue, like WWE or some of these other properties that have gone direct-to-the-consumer via video.
2: If we can get AR and VR to a point where there'll come a day very soon where you'll be able to sit at home and watch Wimbledon as if you were at Wimbledon. That day has not come yet. But if that day is around the corner, and the headsets are in the $20 range. It's an incredible opportunity for what's considered to be one of the greatest live entertainment companies in history, which is the Cirque. We also have a permanent residence show in, in Orlando at Disney. It's very successful for us. So there are other opportunities, Disney Europe, Disney Japan. There are other cities that could take on a permanent residence show like London. But by and large, we're looking at these acquisitions,
1: addressing new markets and new ways of distributing the product. Do you think augmented reality, virtual reality are the futures of live events? Where do you see innovation in live events? Because obviously people went to the Coliseum. I mean, Mm -hmm. going to see live event is part of our social fabric, but it's not something I'd consider innovative per se. Cirque was innovative, you know, in terms of taking the circus and bringing it to another level of performance. Whether it's Cirque or just in general, what are some interesting concepts you're seeing? Well, I'll
2: tell you my idea of both.
1: I think in sports, you need to be there
2: or see it live because once the score is known, the game becomes infinitely less interesting. In Cirque, for example, the show is a show that you need to see and it should be able to be seen at the time of your convenience. The game is played at the time of their convenience. We have a YouTube channel, let's say, and uh, you pay you know, $20 a year and you can see an unlimited number of Cirque du Soleil shows and you can see them with the right equipment so that the show really looks great. Then I think we have ourselves uh, a model. Live entertainment where the results are important is different than live sure. entertainment like Springsteen is playing live on Broadway. You want to either see that live or you want to see it as if you were there
1: live. Sure. Let's segue then to sports. We mentioned you're on the board of the Expansion Seattle team. No name yet, correct? No name yet. Probably coming in early April. The Garbers? Yeah, right. Bondos. The Bondos. (laughs) That's a labor of love, I imagine, Giving you're from Canada. Yeah, absolutely. Big I mean, fan of the product. Huge fan of the are product. Are we going to have a Golden Knights moment with Seattle? Are they going to be as successful? I mean, who knows? But yeah, of course, you know, they set a bar very, very high. They did a great job in the draft. First draft of
2: that kind where teams are protecting 10 players and you're drafting off the balance. They did a terrific job. They'll be in the playoffs this year for the third year in a row. It's amazing. All three years of their existence. You have to look at them and you have to take your hat off to them. We hired our GM, Ron Francis. We believe in Ron, our CEO, Todd Lowecki. Very experienced in professional sports. And what's the venue? Sports. The venue is the Old Key Arena in Seattle. We're building a $900 million. We call it a renovation, but it's not a renovation. Because it's a heritage building, we had to keep the roof. So we dug out the entire underneath of the arena, 75 feet down, keeping only the roof suspended. There were many firms that couldn't do it. They said they wouldn't take the risk of doing it. And it's been done. It's going to cost $900. MSG was a
1: little bit similar. It's more expensive than building a new building.
2: It's much more expensive than building a new building, but it's incredibly located. It's going to be magnificent building. At the same time, we got an American Hockey League franchise in Palm Springs. We're building an arena there. And at the same time, we're building our practice facility just uh, outside of downtown uh, Seattle. So three facilities are being Man, built. What tonight.
1: a great sports town. It's going to be a big deal. Been there
2: now very often, but yeah. I had never been there before. So I'm falling in love with the city.
1: It's great. And now I also read that you're trying to bring baseball back to Montreal. Is that true?
2: Yes, I'm a partner with Stephen Bronfman. He's the lead investor and he's the lead with Major League Baseball. And Of course, he and his father owned the Expos several ownerships before the one that moved the team out. There are discussions that are very public with the Tampa Bay Rays, who are having a lot of problems with fans, with their stadium. They've got a a great owner named Stu Sternberg, who loves Montreal and really likes Steven. And so we have a group of Montrealers who are, you know, hoping to quarterback ownership How do you handicap
1: this? I mean, what do you think the odds are?
2: I think the odds are high. I think they're in the 70% range. Wow. And when will we know? Well, we came up with a concept of splitting a franchise, playing half the games in Tampa and half the games in Montreal that concept has been endorsed by the uh, commissioner of Major League Baseball.
1: That's pretty wild. I I mean, I I, guess we're talking about Jacksonville Jaguars playing in London too, I guess. It's different
2: because in in baseball, you have 162 games. I'm starting to think it's a lot. In football, you have 16
1: games, eight home games. Any decent city could host eight home games. Right. 81 games is a ton of baseball. I agree. Now, you're also heavily engaged in philanthropy. Yes. You spend a lot of time. How do you decide where to get involved there? And a bigger question is... Given all the activities we've talked about, you're on countless boards. How do you find time and what's your secret to being able to do this? And how do you make those ultimate decisions on spending time?
2: These chairman and board positions and active investor positions are much easier than being an active CEO of a company with many thousands of employees. I had these casinos fall under me as well at one point when I managed Caesars Acquisition Company, the public company that was um, a sister of, of Caesars. So I find it a little bit easier, number one. And number two... I got to the point where all the deals that I'm in right now are with people that I admire and love working with. So I'm talking about, you know, Samber and Bondo and Rowan and Jeff Benjamin and Jim Coulter. I'm very, very lucky to be able to be involved with them on a daily basis. You know, as far as philanthropy is concerned, I have a fairly high profile in Canada. So I decided that the way I would use the high profile was almost exclusively for philanthropy. So I don't do A lot of business appearances or other i chair balls i raise money you know i raised 50 million dollars for our united way and i'll do the same for our jewish community foundation this year i'd rather make all those appearances at cocktails and at balls and make speeches about philanthropy and how people like me and members of my community have been very fortunate and even though we pay a lot of taxes we really do have a responsibility to make the distribution of wealth a little bit more fair and to take care of the bottom tiers of our society. And I think it's working and it's fulfilling
1: and hopefully teaching a good lesson to my kids as well. How do you choose your causes? I find that a lot of people who are successful, it's a little difficult. You could do so many things. you put your money in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. How did you find your lanes to really get involved? Yeah, we've got a good system um,
2: in Canada. We've got a couple of great umbrella organizations that fund hundreds of organizations in need and they do all the due diligence on those organizations and make sure that they fill all the conditions. At the same time, I'm passionate about education and dropout rates. I'm passionate about health care. We have a unique situation in Canada. We have socialized medicine, but private donors still fund hospital equipment. I believe a lot in mental health. I lost uh, my father. Uh, took his life when I was uh, 23 years old. And he had financial difficulties, which was what led to that, obviously, mental health issues as well. And now mental health is becoming a much easier topic for people to talk about. And so I'm very involved with mental health and, and promoting people talking about mental health and funding mental health. People don't like to give money to psychiatric hospitals, for example, because of the stigma. So, like I said, my profile in Canada allows me to speak to people in a way that I get their attention and maybe I could change their minds. So that's kind of it. What's
1: the secret to your energy? Just love what you do? You're I don't know because I, more- I had
2: a lot of energy when I hated what I did. So I delivered the newspaper at six in the morning when I was like 11 years old and I hated it, but I had a <laughs> lot
1: of energies. All right. It's just natural. It just comes to you. Let's do some favorites as we kind of wrap up here. What is your favorite podcast these days? Well, I listen to the
2: Barstool guys a lot. Sometimes I like to just laugh. Right, you have like a serious day, and you like to uh, to just laugh. Uh, What's his name? Who wrote uh, the tipping point? I love all of his uh, Malcolm Gladwell. I love all of his podcasts. But he hasn't done any new ones lately. It's been a while.
1: New season is coming out from Pushkin Industries, our friends. How about your favorite book that you've read? in the last six months. Well, I, I always promote Startup Nation because I want people That's to right, read it. The, about Israel. Yeah. I'm actually
2: reading right now A Very Stable Genius, the book about Donald Trump by the two award-winning writers. Because so I really want to read and see what's behind the scenes that I haven't seen on television. I'm trying to read a fiction book every month or so right now because I got into this period where I was always reading just biographies and business books. And I said, well, why don't I just try to read some Fantasy murder mystery and get involved. How's that in working that. for you? I like it. Good. I like it. I do. I read slowly. I'll read like twenty pages and then I'll leave it for maybe a you week, learn you know? some magic too. Maybe some <laughs> no. magic books in there. Uh, no, none that. And finally, a show you're streaming that you like. Uh, I like so many. I love The Crown. I love Billions. I just watched Sasha Baron Cohen in Spy, amazing, amazing series about Ellie Cohn, the
1: Israeli spy. Not that you have that much time, but anyway. No, you don't. Well, you always you like you're on airplanes. You, like. you
2: download. You know all your. your I'm stuff sure you, you travel stuff.
1: much. Well. I think we've done it. I hope so. This was really, really informative. So many interesting parts of the world you touch here. That's really at the center of the business world right now. And keep doing all the good things you're doing. And thanks so much for coming on. I'm honored that you even asked me. Thank you very much, Alex. See you, Mitch. All right.
0: I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, find us and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen feel free to leave a review as well as it helps people find the show. You can also follow us on social media at KindredCast for behind-the-scenes photos and info. Listen to KindredCast on SiriusXM every Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, on Business Radio Channel 132, or stream shows on demand in the SiriusXM app. Audiation.